All right, take out your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We are up to verse number 27. We are looking at Paul's instruction here in chapter 11 and chapter 12 to the church in regards to how they honor God and how they honor one another in their public gatherings for worship, even in how they are seen by the sake of testimony from from an outsider. So definitely some important instruction here. We began the first 16 verses. He laid out, um, he addressed specifically head coverings for women, but we understand the application of that in our culture being different than that in their culture because it's not a part of our culture anymore. And then we picked up, in uh, verse 17 forward, his instructions here about the Lord's Supper. In the first few verses, he laid out this corrupt practice that was going on in their churches. It's how they were having a meal in addition to the Lord's table. And those who were poor and maybe had nothing were coming hungry and had nothing to eat, while those who had plenty were eating and stuffing themselves and having a good time. So certainly they weren't having added dish meals like we do where we all share it together there. But you kind of brought your stuff and you set it over there. And he said, you're kind of missing the point. Of the table. Last week we looked at verse 23 down through verse 26 as he said, This is the instruction for the Lord's table. And so, this is exactly what you should be doing. We're going to pick up our reading there tonight, read through the end of the chapter, and finish off this chapter seeing not just Paul's instruction, but then Paul, what he instructed in correction for the church in Corinth. So, here's your problem. Here's what I've taught you to be doing. Now, here's what you need to do in, in relation to that. So verse 23, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged." But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the instruction that we find here for the church in regards to this most holy ordinance, the Lord's Supper. We pray that we would learn from this tonight in our own practice and in our own corporate worship gatherings that we might be edified and that you might be glorified. We pray this through Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 27, Paul initially just addresses taking unworthily. As he says, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, just in its reading there, that sounds horrendous, doesn't it? I do not want to be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So I don't want to take from the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. But we need to dig into what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to eat unworthily? 
Well, I think in the base form, this means in our day, doing so with an unconfessed sin. We, we must know this to not be forbidding sinners from the table, else none of us would be able to come. So we don't put the standard so stringent upon it to that end. But at the same time, we mustn't put it into the place that just anybody could come at any time as if this practice was doing something for them toward the end of their sinfulness. And both of those have been practiced in church history and would even be found practiced even in today's world. There are some who would say, come one, come all. And we've really done something evangelistic if we could get even the worst sinner to come and take this bread and to drink this juice because it is to the remission of their sins. And and no, it is not. It is symbolic of what is to the remission of their sins, but it in and of itself is not to the remission of of their sins. At the same time, we can get so stringent upon each other that none of us can ever be worthy to partake of the Lord's table. And so we're sitting around pointing fingers the whole time and saying, oh, I know what he did last week. I can't believe he's coming forward to the Lord's table. The Lord has laid his table for who? The sinners or the righteous? The sinners. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. The man who is not sick doesn't need a physician. And so we understand that the whole taking of the table is an acknowledgement of I am a worthless sinner. But for some unknown reason, all I can say is grace. God has put the righteousness of Christ on my account. And so in recognition of that, I come and I take and I eat. This is his body given in death for me. And I drink. This is his blood shed for the remission of my sins. And I do so grievously saying, Lord, I'm never on my own going to be worthy to take of this or any other function of the word of God. But for some reason, you've counted me among the worthy and allowed me to take. So thank you for this. I take it with glory. I take it with grief. I take it looking forward to his second coming. So Paul is not speaking here of our own personal unworthiness. Let me read you from some scholars here. McDonald says, cleansed by the blood of Christ, we can approach God in all the worthiness of his own beloved son. But Paul is speaking here of the disgraceful conduct which characterized the Corinthians as they gathered together for the Lord's Supper. They were guilty of careless and irreverent behavior. So they were being, Paul says here, guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Tom Schreiner says the Corinthians are eating unworthily and that they are blatantly mistreating the poor among them. Their actions toward the poor contradict the self-giving love celebrated in the supper. Hence, they are, in effect, despising what Jesus did in the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. The supper has been turned upside down so that it has become an occasion for selfish grasping instead of selfless giving. And Richard Pratt adds to that, the unworthiness he had in mind was participating in the Lord's Supper in a way that failed to exhibit the unity of the church in Christ. Now, what does that look like for you and I? Well, it could just be blatant sin. For you and I, it could just be the simple fact of not that something has been brought to our attention that we didn't know about uh, or that something has been brought to our attention that we didn't know about and we didn't confess of it. Or we certainly know about it, but we enjoy the sin more than we enjoy the forgiveness of that sin. But I think often it can even be something less obvious than that. For many, it just becomes that we take of it ritualistically. We just do this because it's a thing to do. In fact, if we're going to miss one Sunday in the month, we don't miss the first Sunday because the first Sunday is when we take the Lord's table and I'm supposed to do that. 
Well, is it, isn't it to be more worshipful than that? Shouldn't it be more God-honoring than just the ritual? Or maybe we take it in an indifferent manner. I was reading about one guy. He said, let me think if I can remember who he was. I can't remember who he was. But he said as a child, he, this is a guy who now is a college professor and a pastor and a Bible scholar, right? But he said as a child, he always hated the first Sunday of the month because that was the longest Sunday of all of the Sundays because in addition to the long sermon and all the singing and all the readings, at the very end, then you still had to tack on the Lord's table. And he said as a, as a child, he just absolutely just not like that. And he said he thinks back at his memory now and maybe some of the adults didn't like that Sunday either because it kept them over a little bit longer. Maybe that could be what Paul is pointing out here. Ritualistically, indifferently, just one more thing we have to do. Maybe we're doing it with a poor spirit. Maybe we're disgruntled. Maybe we have ought against our brother. Maybe we've got some things going on where we're just not right with the Lord. Maybe we're questioning him or we're, we're angry with him or bitter at him in some way. We're doing it with a poor spirit. Maybe we're doing it with an ungodly attitude. All of these things can be a little less obvious than the blatant sin. Oh, be careful. That guy's a murderer. Don't let him take the Lord's table. Well, what about the gossip? What about the glutton? What about the one who is simply just indifferent? Who among us is actually worthy to partake? But Christ has made us worthy. But in making us worthy, now let us come and partake of this with clean hands. So Paul tells them, When you come and you take this way, you're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Their unacknowledged sin had them coming with these dirty hands. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offended one point, he is guilty of them all. MacArthur says to come to the Lord's table clinging to one's sin does not only dishonor the ceremony, but it also dishonors his body and his blood, treating lightly the gracious sacrifice of Christ for us. It is necessary to set all sin before the Lord, then partake so as not to mock the sacrifice for sin by holding on to it. Warren Wearsby puts a good stamp on the end of verse 27. He says, Paul did not say that we had to be worthy to partake of the supper, but only that we should partake of it in a worthy manner. Wasn't that great? The, the worthy or not is on Christ's account. If we partake of it in a worthy manner or not, that's what's on our account. Amen. So what does it look like to take worthily? So verse 27 is clear. Don't take unworthily. Then from verse 28 on, he instructs on, well, how do I take worthily? In verse 28, he says it begins with examination. Verse 29 through 32, he says you're also going to have a measure of discernment. And then in verse 33 and 34, he says you need to have a bit of awareness. So let me give you those three and then we'll be finished for tonight. So verse 28, to take worthily from the Lord's Supper begins with examination. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. What does that look like? Who knew better personal examination than the psalmist David? He said in Psalm 51, verse 10, creating me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. In Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, are these famous words, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's been turned into a song that is sung, but it's certainly the right mentalities. We think about what does it mean to be examining ourselves? So this is the mindset we must have as we come to 
the table. We use this time to consider whether our manner of living aligns with the purpose of the ordinance. Does your manner of living align with what very reason that we're coming to take from the Lord's table, his body and his blood? Lamentations chapter three, verse 40 says, let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Second Corinthians 13, five says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know you not your own self, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. So it begins with examination. Then in verse 29 through 32, taking worthily also involves discernment. Notice verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. We must examine our own selves. We must judge our sins and then confess them to the Lord. To come to the table with unconfessed sin in our lives is to be guilty of his body and his blood for it was sin that nailed him to the cross in the first instance. So if we won't judge our own sins, then we can expect God to judge us and we can expect God to chasten us until we do confess and forsake our sins. That's what verse 31 and 32 tell us. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. One way to approach these verses is just that. Let us examine and confess lest we face judgment. And God's judgment might well come at us physically. If we won't, if we won't judge ourselves, if we won't be in repentance and confession on our own, then we can expect God's judgment to come on us. He says almost for a public testimony or so that we are not associated with the world and are getting away with this sinning. He will chasten us as a father would chasten his son. And Paul's specific reference here to that is that's why some of you are sick and maybe even why some of you have died. So he puts a very strong emphasis here on the importance of us not taking from the ordinances of the church in an unworthy manner. So we're going to have to examine ourselves and then we're also going to have to use discernment. I want to give you another way to approach this text, though. Now, that's the primary way I've always heard this this text preached. Tell me if that's exactly how you've always heard it preached. Be careful that you don't partake of the Lord's table unworthily. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying we should change from that. Why would we change from that? Why would we embrace a sinful mentality towards the Lord's table? But that there's more here. Because within the context of what Paul is writing about, he says some other things already. And I think we have to apply those verses to what he has already said. I think what Paul is speaking of here is practical repentance. Often we only go so far as confessing our sinning. Oh, shoot, it's first Sunday of the month. We're having the Lord's table today. I better ask the Lord to forgive me of all my sins before I go up there. And we'll even say, I'll give instructions before we have the Lord's table. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. We're going to prepare the elements now. You prepare yourselves. And we have this time of private prayer. And we, we give that time for you to be able to do that. I'm not telling you that, that we shouldn't do that, but... But does it go further than that? Confession is one thing. Repentance is another thing. To confess your sin is to admit verbally or in your mind with a thought, Lord, I've done this thing and it's not right. Please forgive me. And 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But just because he's forgiven us doesn't mean the relationship has been restored. If I get caught stealing at the Chapel CB store in White Bluff, the guy grabs me by the hand and says, what are you doing? You're stealing. I said, man, I'm sorry. 
It's a bad habit. I'm going to quit. I'm stealing these batteries or whatever it is that I'm caught stealing here. If he believes me, he can say, all right, well, you seem sorry about it. I'm going to let you go this time. Promise me you'll never do it again. Okay. If he catches me stealing again next week, I give the same old song and dance. Oh, I'm sorry. What he actually wants from me is not for me to continually be sorry for trying to steal the batteries. What does he want from me? Stop stealing the batteries. For some reason, we have this disconnect as humans in our relationship with the Lord. He does want you to confess your sin, but he wants you to stop doing the sins. There has to be a practical repentance. You have to put your words into actions. Put actions behind your words. Now you, can, you can study in the scriptures and find some really dramatic instances of this. We, just, we studied with the men in the last men's Bible study in the book of, we studied the book of Ezra. And then we were reading, I was reading through that to my kids all this last month. And we got up to chapter number 10 and we were all kind of shocked at what we found in Ezra chapter number 10. Why don't you flip there? I think we have enough time to get there tonight. Hold your place in here and let's go to Ezra chapter number 10. Is that New Testament or Old Testament? For Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. What's that? Page 480. Thanks, Scotty. <laughs> All right, Ezra chapter 10, verse 1. I want to just show you this. It doesn't really have, to do, have anything to do with Lord's Supper, but it's very, very telling for us of what, what God's repentance looks like might change your interpretation of what modern day action should and shouldn't be. Chapter 10, verse one. Now, when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children for the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jael, one of the sons of Elam answered and said unto Ezra, we have trespassed against our gods our God, and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. All right, so what does this guy come to Ezra to admit his sin to be? Yeah, he's unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Yes, that's what it says. Strange wives. Now, therefore, anybody else got a strange wife in here? (laughs) Maybe you don't want to say that. Now, therefore, he says, verse 3, let us make a covenant with our God. So just let's, let me be clear what we're talking about, about here. The humor clear got, got my mind going on. I probably should explain clearly. Israelites were only to marry who? Yeah, and these guys had married people from other places. Moab and some other places here it lays out for us. They had taken wives from these other places and God did not intend for them to do this. All right, chapter, chapter 10, verse three. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God. Now here come, they've already confessed, right? Did they confess in verse two? Fully. Now they're going to repent. Let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Now, and, and you can just go on and read. In fact, if you'll notice in your Bible near the end of the chapter, you start seeing all these lists of names and the sons of and the sons of and the sons of and the sons of. Pretty big, long list there, isn't it? 
And then it'll even get down to, it says, well, look at verse 19. And they gave their hands that they would put away their wives and being guilty, they offered a ram of the flock for their trespass. And let's see if I can find the verse here. I can't find it right off the top of my my reading there, but they'll even say, and then among the sons of the priests, we found those who had taken strange wives as well. And then we asked them to put theirs apart. Okay, you can go back to Corinthians. What's my point in bringing that up to you? We would see this in today's culture as a very crazy and drastic thing to do. But God's people at that time who had suffered things that we can never, we, 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 we live in a great time up against what these folks lived in. Freedom of religion, nice place to worship. We've got groceries at home. We've got lights on. We've got heat. It's icy outside. You had defrost in your car, all these things, right? Well, these people had been laid desolate by two different ruling powers drug away in captivity and were slaves. And then here this king had let some of God's people go back to, first they rebuilt the temple, and then the book of Nehemiah we found where they rebuilt the wall. Such a dramatic thing for them that it says at one point when, when the temple began to be rebuilt, they gathered around kind of as a, as a what would we call that? Like a, not a christening, but like a dedication. They were having a dedication there. And it said that some of them were crying so loud that you couldn't hear, but some of them were shouting so loud that you couldn't hear the criers. The criers couldn't hear the shout because they were crying so loud. They were just supremely emotional at this thing happening. And one of the things that they got so serious with God about through this time of reformation that they had was getting the sins cleaned up out of their lives. And they went so far as to realize it was a sinful thing for us to take wives and have children from these women from other nations. So we're going to divorce ourselves from these women and put away these kids as our own kids and send them back to where they came from. It's pretty serious, isn't it? Pretty dramatic. And we often will get ourselves in situations and we'll think, well, I can't go that far. But, but I've at least confessed it. And then here's what happens in modern Christianity. We go ahead and do the thing that we know would be against God, knowing that, well, in the end, I can confess of it, and then that'll make it all right because he'll forgive my sin. So we can kind of play this game of enjoying my sin but confessing it, enjoy my sin but confessing it, enjoy my sin but confessing it. Where's the repentance? And then we don't like the repentance when the preacher or some brother or sister in Christ says to us, well, well, this is what repentance would look like. You're going to have to put this away from you out of your lives. And we've already made these connections. We've made these, these bounds. And then, so what are we supposed to do? Now that brings 1 Corinthians 11 into a different light, doesn't it? Paul is not talking so much here about the simple confessing Five minutes before you take from the Lord's table, he's saying to the Corinthian church, there's this thing that you are doing that you've got to stop doing and do it differently or what you're doing is not the Lord's table at all. So you're not keeping the ordinance that Christ gave you on the night of his betrayal and his arrest. What would this look like in Corinth? Well, I don't think he's specifically saying to them like we would often say, if you have any sin in you, just ask the Lord to forgive you for coming to take the Lord's table. I think when he talks about discernment, he says, discerning the Lord's body. Look at that in verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. Throughout church history, there have been those who've taken this verse to say, oh, well, we're misunderstanding the elements of the Lord's table. 
And that's where you get transubstantiation, people who believe that this transformed into the actual body of Christ. We don't do it that way. So they would say, well, you're not discerning the Lord's body properly. So you've asked damnation to yourself. Then there were those of the, the Luther cloth who said, well, we're not believing in that. So that consubstantiation, but they didn't quite take it far enough. And then who was the reformer who took it even further? Come on, kids, make Mr. Preston proud. Yeah, who said that? Okay, good job, good job. I was thinking it was one of Preston's daughters who are not even in his class. I was going to get, nice job, Fiona. Yeah, Zwingli came in and he was the one who said, Luther didn't take it far enough. We got to take it a little further. And, and it's what we have now. It's symbolic. This is just a piece of bread. This is just a, a little small cup of juice. Now, if we were going to change something, Lord's table, I could go for a bigger cups. Can I get a second? God, I preach the whole time and then we get this one little cup and it almost chokes me because it gets me just wet enough that my body's wanting more and I'm trying to talk afterwards. Sometimes as the preacher, because I've got to take the cracker and talk. Sometimes I'm thinking, y'all are thinking I'm living in sin because I'm up here. <coughs> you say, oh, he's getting sick. He's getting sick. It's because I've been talking and trying to eat all at the same time. I don't think we quite get what Paul means here when he says discerning the Lord's body. That's not what he was talking about. Those are things that are from church history. but and, and then we'll even say, well, you're not discerning the Lord's body because you're not serious about your sinning. No, 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 no. What is the Lord's body? The church. He said your sin is that you're misunderstanding how the church should function. Some of you are over here and you've got plenty to eat, but some of you are over here and you're starving to death and you're supposed to come together in a unifying thing. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts of Christian love. And it's just not happening because of this poor practice. You're not discerning the Lord's body. So you're eating damnation to yourselves. They were guilty of neglect in this regard. And then why would he say then some of you are sick and some of you died? Because of the lack of nutrition. He says, this is why some of you are sick. Because you over here have plenty to eat. But you over here, you don't have anything to eat. When What you should do is do like the Acts 2 church did and share these things. And he's going to give further instruction here in a moment. He says, and for those of you who can, when should you eat if you're hungry? At home. So this is his point. This is your judgment upon you. He says, if you had figured this out from yourselves, it wouldn't have happened. If you had judged this for yourselves, it would not have happened. If you'd come to realize that your bounty could have been shared with your Christian brother who was going hungry... They wouldn't have been sick. They wouldn't have died. Now, I don't want you to understand what I'm saying here is confessing sin is not important. Confessing sin is utterly important. But confessing and repenting, changing the forward practice is of the utmost important, especially when our actions and our practices affect the body as a whole. Now, that aligns well with his ending. So he says, examine yourself in verse 28. Discern, discern. You discern it in the body of Christ in verse 29. He explains what's happening here in verse 30, 31, and 32. But because you won't judge yourselves, this is the... You see, we, we, we misunderstand sin in that regard as well. Jesus has saved us from the penalty of our sin, but he has not saved us from the consequence of our sin. If you're going to keep on sinning, you're going to suffer the consequences of your sin. Not many are going to go to hell. You're, that's the penalty. You won't have God's wrath and you won't go to hell. But, but if you're doing something that harms others or harms your body, you're still going to suffer the consequences of that even if you say, well, the Lord forgave me for it. 
And so Paul says here, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Now he ends on a note that we need a bed of self-awareness. Verse 33, wherefore, my brother, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. So tarry. When you come together to eat, wait. Look out for the interests of the others in your assembly. So he says, wait for each other. Instead of the rich eating first and the poor not eating at all, all the participants in the feast were to eat at the same time. So what's Paul's solution? Potlucks. <laughs> Add a dish. I know that's silly, but I mean, that's basically what he is saying there. Now, he gives a better solution even than that. If any man hunger, let him eat at home. But if you were to share, it would show proper honor to the poor, which in showing proper honor to the poor, who are we showing honor to then? Christ. He says, when, you were hung, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you gave me clothes to eat. When I was in, or, or clothes to wear. When I was in jail, you came and visited me. And they said, when? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So they needed to wait for each other. Second, in order to eliminate any justification for not waiting for others, Paul added that anyone who was hungry should eat at home. If you've got plenty to eat anyways, eat at home. Then when you come together to these love feasts that they were having, it'd be no big deal to you who had plenty because you've already filled up to share it with someone who had nothing. In fact, if they were really, really hungry, well, you're already full anyway. You could just say, to, you know what, I, just go ahead and have more because I've, I've had my fill. It's a wonderful picture of what Christian love and fellowship should look like. It's not I got to hurry up and get to the front of the line because somebody else is going to get all the fried chicken and I'm going to be just stuck with some spaghetti. It's I really didn't come for the sake of the eating. I'm just glad that the eating has facilitated us being gathered to have the fellowship. That's what Paul is saying here. This feast was a time when the gospel should be demonstrated not only in the elements of the bread and the wine, but also in the loving treatment of one another. So if you are able, care for your hunger at home so that when you are together, you can have an outward look toward others' needs, toward Christ who brought us together, and then toward the second coming of Christ. All of that instructed in the Lord's table. So let's take Paul's instruction to heart so that our time at the Lord's table can also be worshipful. I think we end with some questions tonight to consider. Does our worship honor God? Do we properly regard other believers when we have corporate worship? And does our pattern of church life give proper testimony to the outsiders? Now, we haven't quite gotten to that one in the text yet, but you can understand it just from the surface. But think about those things. Think about your approach to the gatherings for worship. Does what you do when, from the time you leave your house to the time you get back, does your normal practice on a typical Sunday morning, does that honor God? Do the things that you're actively involved in, the reading of the Word, the praying of the Word, the singing of the Word, the preaching, the hearing the preaching of the Word, does your participation in that honor God or, or, or is there room for some changes there? And then think about other believers. Do your actions or lack thereof, does it properly honor the other believers? Do the things you bring up in the lobby cause other people to be worshipful when they come into the auditorium? 
Or does it set them off in other directions? You say, well, that's the only time I see them. I got to deal with these things. Well, then when should you deal with them? Brother Scotty, when should you deal with them? After church. Not before. Wait till the gathering's over. You want to talk to someone before church? What do we talk to them about? God's good, isn't he? I'm so glad that we're, I'm glad to see you. Now, that doesn't change the whole how you've been doing. You know, that's a, that's a pretty typical thing to say. But even that, somebody asks you how you've been doing before the worship gathering. Find a positive note. You say, well, it's been, it's been a bad week. You know, this, this, and this has happened. Surely you found a positive in there somewhere to, to get you over here to the worship gathering. And if you have it, that's okay. Sometimes you probably need to grab that person and say, I'm struggling to answer that in a good way, in a worshipful way. Pray for me and pray. And then come in and worship together. But nevertheless, we, we are just as guilty. We're not, we're not doing what they are doing. But we have our own form of it. We're not careful. This is nothing more than a social club. We like what we like. We don't like what we don't like. As long as the preacher don't go too long or get too far off the range here, then we're okay. In fact, we would take that final application. What is the testimony before out believe, uh, outsiders? We kind of take that as the primary one. That if my friends don't think I'm in a cult, if my think, friends don't think I've gone crazy, well, then I can go to church over there. That should be the third one. The first one should be, is what, what's God want from me? The second one should be, is how does God expect me to interact with the other believers? And then the third one there would be, what is ours, this group right here, what is our testimony before the outside world? And, and be careful with that, that you don't misunderstand what God expects of us. We started in this study in Corinthians of him laying out for us that we are to be fools for Christ. The world's wisdom is one thing and then God's wisdom is seen as foolishness to the world. So when we take approaches to life that seem foolish to the world, we can know we are right. Now, if our approach to life is standing in front of a freight train and you say, but I'm doing it to the glory of God. Well, no, I mean when you're living according to the scriptures for the glory of God. All right, that's it. Any thoughts, comments, or questions?